What made reporters, photographers, and thousands of spectators suddenly lose interest in a football game? What changed headlines during a weekend like no other? Find out on this episode of Top Fold. Welcome to Top Fold, a podcast about all the news that would have been. I'm your host, Luke Hefley. Here at Top Fold, we explore monumental events that didn't make the top story only because that spot was already taken. On any fall weekend, the topic turns to football. College, pro, it doesn't matter. The sport has been popular in America for over a century, prompting Monday morning water cooler and coffee pot discussions, and sometimes debates, around the country. Looking back decades, one team football fans should have been talking about was Willamette University. Just because you may have never heard of the Bearcats doesn't mean they weren't good. Located in Salem, Oregon, Willamette easily won their conference, outscoring their opponents 218-7. to Losses? Just one to a much larger and higher division, University of Idaho. Willamette was going places. Far away places. The Bearcats were invited to play the University of Hawaii in the Shrine Football Classic, unofficially called the Shrine Bowl, a Willamette dream come true. This same weekend, multiple football teams hoped to make national headlines. Many teams that would not have normally played each other did so. Examples include Texas tackling Oregon, Mississippi State battling San Francisco, Texas A&M combating Washington State, and of course Willamette traveling to Hawaii. The Willamette game proved memorable. The crowd of over 24,000 was the largest the Bearcats had ever seen. The mayor of Honolulu and the governor attended, and multiple marching bands lent school spirit to the event. But the Bearcats had experienced illness during their week-long Pacific Ocean voyage, and less than three days after landing on the island, many of the Willamette players suffered from the lingering effects of seasickness. Given their unfit condition, despite their best efforts, the Bearcats lost 20-6. to Over 4,800 miles and six time zones away, professional football was also on everyone's minds. The following day, some significant NFL games were being decided on the gridiron. The Washington Redskins versus the Philadelphia Eagles, the New York Giants playing their crosstown rivals, and back in Chicago, the Bears challenging the Cardinals. Not just for bragging rights, this game mattered. The Bears, who had only lost once the entire season, would need a victory to force a first-time-ever tiebreaker playoff game against their true nemesis, the Green Bay Packers, the following week. The New York Giants fans had looked forward to this day for a long time. Designated as a Tuffy Lehman's Day in honor of their star running back, it was indeed a day of celebration. It looked like this weekend of football from coast to coast and beyond would be discussed for days, if not weeks, to come. None of these games were discussed on Monday morning. After the games, you would be hard-pressed to find articles about who won or lost, the scores, or even the players' actions on the field. Why? Were the games unexciting? Had there been no upsets or human interest stories from the field? Not at all. But something much more important had happened. While all three of the NFL games were underway, announcers from each stadium started asking specific spectators to report to the front gates and press boxes. Why were the announcers interrupting the games for these requests? What turned everyone's eyes from football to something much more monumental? Two words. The words resonate much more as an event than a location. Pearl Harbor. At 12.55 p.m. Eastern Time, 7.55 a.m. Local Time on Sunday, December 7, 1941, Japan attacked Pearl Harbor. 
In Chicago, the announcer told commissioned officers to make their way to the gate. In New York, the announcer instructed all servicemen to report to their units. The announcements at the Washington, D.C. game proved more alarming and direct. Admiral Double H.P. Bland is asked to report to his office at once. The resident commissioner of the Philippines, Mr. Joaquin Alasalde, is urged to report to his office immediately. Captain R.X. Finn of the United States Army is asked to report to his office at once. As high-ranking government and military personnel bolted from the stadiums, the announcers did not reveal the news of the attack over the loudspeakers, but reporters were told to check with their offices immediately. With the game announcements becoming more frequent, the 27,102 fans in Washington, D.C. knew something was wrong, but didn't know what. By the beginning of the fourth quarter, almost every reporter and photographer, as well as thousands of spectators, had vacated the stadium. Although Washington was able to score 13 unanswered points in the final quarter and come from behind to defeat Philadelphia 20-14, few were there to report it. Due to an event thousands of miles away, the game ended in almost complete silence. Upon flying over Pearl Harbor, Japanese pilot Masuo Fushida had called out Tora, 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 meaning tiger in English. This was a message to the entire Japanese Navy, telling them that they had caught the Americans by surprise. The attack lasted almost two hours, and it was devastating. The six Japanese aircraft carriers that had traveled over 3,400 miles for their sneak attack launched 353 planes and multiple submarines towards Hawaii. Japan specifically chose Sunday because they believed that the Americans would be more relaxed and less alert. The U.S. aircraft carriers, the primary targets, were not anchored at the base at this time. Unfortunately, eight of the nine battleships, almost the entire Pacific fleet, were. Lined up in Battleship Row, Japan sunk or damaged all eight during the attack. Amazingly, all but two, the Arizona and the Oklahoma, were able to return to active duty. Ultimately, 2,403 Americans died that day in the attack, and an additional 1,178 were wounded. A total of 18 ships were lost or damaged, and 188 planes were destroyed. In stark contrast, Japan only lost 29 aircraft and 129 men, with an additional soldier being captured. Although unable to be authenticated, Admiral Isoroku Yamamoto, the Japanese attack's chief architect, reportedly said the following, I fear that all we have done is to awaken a sleeping giant and fill him with a terrible resolve. That would be an understatement. During that war-torn day on December 7, 1941, life immediately changed for the Willamette College players in Hawaii. Quarterback Earl Hampton, who had never even seen the ocean before this trip, was given a rifle and a bayonet and told to defend the island if the Japanese returned. All 27 football players were handed model 1903 Springfield bolt-action rifles and helmets, and for 10 days they dug ditches, strung barbed wire, and defended the beach and a local high school that now housed ammunitions. Meanwhile, the women from Willamette went to a Navy hospital at Fort Shafter, which was just 10 minutes from Pearl Harbor, and served as nursing aides. Eventually, the SS Coolidge, a former luxury cruise liner converted for troop movement and serving as a floating hospital, evacuated 125 critically injured naval patients from Hawaii to California. On this ship, the Willamette team and its family members also returned home. While aboard, players became orderlies, carrying patients to and from the operating rooms. They returned to San Francisco on Christmas Day, an entire month after they had first set off for what had become a life and world-changing event. Thoughts of football gone, most Willamette players joined the military. The National Football League 
It wasn't the same after Pearl Harbor. There was even serious debate about suspending all sports. But leaders decided because people would now be working longer hours and dealing with the reality of war, sports could provide a diversion and semblance of normalcy. Because so many football players enlisted and served their country, the 1942 and 1943 rosters were severely depleted. Many retired players who hadn't played in years returned to suit up. Other teams who didn't have enough to fill a roster either suspended play or did the unthinkable, combined with a hated rival. For example, the Philadelphia Eagles and the Pittsburgh Steelers agreed to a temporary merge and were unofficially called the Steagles. New York and Boston, along with other teams, did the same. During this time, many of the teams also helped sell war bonds and donated their revenue to military service charities. College football wasn't the same either. Almost 200 colleges and universities temporarily gave up football during the war. Others had players that ranged from age 16 to 35. The Rose Bowl game between Oregon State and Duke played just over three weeks later on January 1st, but not in its traditional location, Pasadena, California. Authorities were worried about such a large gathering on the West Coast, so it was moved to Durham, North Carolina. For the first and only time in the history of the Rose Bowl, the game wasn't played in Southern California. Nearly a 1,000 NFL players joined the armed forces during World War II. Great players like Waddy Young, James L. Mooney Jr., Al Blossus, and Jack Lummis, who had made a name for themselves on the playing field, sadly lost their lives. For his actions, First Lieutenant Lummis, the great New York Giant who was in the game that fateful day on December 7th, died in the Battle of Iwo Jima and was posthumously awarded the Medal of Honor, the nation's highest award for combat valor. Captain Maurice L. Footsie Britt from the Detroit Lions saw extensive service in both the North African and European theaters. For his actions, Britt became the first soldier in World War II to earn America's top four valor awards, the Medal of Honor, Distinguished Service Cross, Silver Star, and Bronze Star, which he received twice. He was also awarded four Purple Hearts. That name might sound familiar to some. Captain Britt was a standout athlete at the University of Arkansas and was the lieutenant governor for the great state of Arkansas from 1967 to 1971. 21 NFL men died while serving during World War II, including 19 active or former players, an ex-head coach, and a team executive. History has labeled the Redskins versus the Eagles 1941 match as the most forgotten football game. But in reality, that was true for all the games that Saturday and Sunday, if not that entire year. The Chicago Bears did win that day and ended up finishing the season the 1941 NFL champions. But few seemed to care. Football had taken second place to combat. Now, instead of boys playing a game, it was men preparing for war. Game highlights and headlines disappeared suddenly and without warning on December 7, 1941, a day that, after almost 80 years, still lives in infamy. And there you have it, all the news that would have been. Thank you for joining us this week on Top Fold. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at Top Fold Podcast and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen to your favorite podcast. All my sources and research can be found at topfold.buzzsprout.com. There, along with other things that bring history to life. I'd like to thank David Wagler for the music. And if you like the show, please rate us and give us a review or simply tell a friend. That would be great. So until next time, there you have it all the news that would have been.